Hi. I like it. So uh, welcome to church. Welcome to East Point. Thank you for making it a part of your priority today to go to church. As Kurt said, we are starting a brand new sermon series called Merry Christmas. Are you kidding me? And if that doesn't make sense to you, then let me explain to you who this sermon series is for and why we think that it would not only help you, but just about anybody that you know. Merry Christmas is something that you're probably going to hear a lot of over the course of the next 18 days or so. That is, of course, if you work, if you bank, or if you shop or spend any leisure time at one of the businesses that doesn't prohibit it. There are some who actually prohibit the saying of Merry Christmas. I know one of those people. In fact, I've talked to numerous people who work at these different stores where there's been a rule declared that they can't say Merry Christmas. And they talk about how there's this awkward tension and there's this chaos that exists in their workplace environment. One of them actually saying to me, what's so dangerous about saying Merry Christmas to somebody? It's not like we're trying to convert them. Are you kidding me? That was her actual words. So if you're a person like that, then this sermon series is for you. Or maybe you're like my friend. I called him the other day and I asked him, hey, you know, how you doing? Are you looking forward to the holidays and everything? And you'd think that the guy had Tourette's because the blue streak that he swore at me in response to that question kind of caught me off guard. And I was like, wow, okay. And, and what he was saying was, is, dude, if you had my kind of a poorly blended family situation, all it does all it does is highlight the dysfunctionality of my family, and I hate it. I don't look forward to this. I survive it, hopefully, and by the time I get to the new year, if I have made it, I always feel changed by it. So if that's you, then this sermon series is for you. Or maybe you're like me. You see, from about Halloween all the way through to the end of the year. I call that the, the holiday season. All of these different holidays stress me out. And here's the reason why. If you're like me, you eat more and you drink more during the holiday season and you exercise less and sleep less. That's what we do during the holiday season. And there's all these little stresses that come up with the holiday season. Like, for instance, Halloween, you know, what kind of a costume are you going to get? And how are you going to get that? And if you got more than one Halloween party, do you wear both costumes for each? And do you get a different one for this? And then there's your kids to think about. And that's just Halloween and getting all the candy and the serving here and all that stuff. And then we're right into Thanksgiving. And after Thanksgiving, you got all the holidays and everything. And if you're like me... Shopping in and of itself sucks. I hate shopping. I think shopping is one of the worst things a person could ever do. But this finding the right gift to buy in the first place, let alone shopping for it, making a decision what this person needs. I mean, come on, that is a stressful situation. And then there is the family situation, getting together with people and hanging out, all the little different parties and all the, it can get chaotic. So if you're like me, this sermon series is for you. Or maybe you're like my brother. The other day I got on a phone call with my brother and we were in the heaven series here. My brother's an atheist. So I asked him, dude, you know, someone is going to die. How do you comfort somebody when you're an atheist? I mean, what do you say to them? You know, I get to talk about heaven, but you don't believe in any of that stuff. And we got to talking about not just heaven, but the holidays. And I asked them, well, you know, you got Christmas coming up. What do you do with the whole Merry Christmas thing? And he's like, 
Dude, that stuff's a joke. That is bogus. The whole story of Jesus and the whole story of Christmas and everything. I mean, come on, you really don't think that, well, I know you think it's true, but I mean, there's no evidence that it's true, man. And you know, my brother's not alone on that. There are a lot of people who, who've looked at the big picture of Jesus and they've looked at this big story of Christmas and they just don't believe it. And like my brother, what they do is they go into the holiday season and Christmas is just a day for spending time with people and giving gifts. It's not about Jesus or anything like that. And again, he's not alone. So if that's you, you're one of those people who thinks that this whole holiday season is just a joke, then this sermon series is for you. You see, Jesus, in and of himself, was supposed to be a person who brought peace to this world. I don't know if you know that or not, but that was what was actually prophesied about Jesus hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever showed up on the scene. Maybe if you're not a churchy person, you're not familiar with the term a prophet. But in the Old Testament, there were many different people who were prophets. And what that simply meant was that they spoke on behalf of God, that God would speak through these individuals. If you've ever heard of the name Moses, that was a prophet. Or Elijah, that was a prophet. And then there's Isaiah. Isaiah was also a prophet. And Isaiah had said some things about Jesus long before he ever showed up and was born. One of the things that he had written down about Jesus actually got incorporated into a song that gets played around Christmas time an awful lot. In fact, a guy made this passage that Isaiah wrote very, very famous by incorporating it into his piece of work. His name was George Friedrich Handel. He, along with another guy, got together and wrote this oratorio or a series of different songs that we know as Handel's Messiah. And many of you have probably heard it before. In one of those choruses, it is a direct quote of what Isaiah wrote about Jesus. And in case you haven't seen it before, it's going to be up on the screen. And I want you guys to just listen into a piece of that Hallelujah Chorus. Here it is. supposed to be the prince of peace. There's supposed to be peace. See, my brother, as well as many other people, probably including some of you here, are like, well, what happened? He came. Where is it? Did you know that his uncle, a guy by the name of Zechariah, Jesus's uncle, he was a priest in the Jewish temple. His son, Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, born up, grown up, He, Zechariah, prophesied before his son John the Baptist was born and before Jesus was born, and he said some things about peace as well. Let me read this to you. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. It says this, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy... 
The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Jesus' birth, his life, and everything associated with it is supposed to bring peace. Did they get it wrong? Were they wrong? Because there are people that are out there like my brother who say, guys, this is a joke. There is no peace. And they look at the headlines all around us and they can quickly conclude if there's peace, then where is it? And where has it been? Let me share with you a couple of statistics that maybe you're already aware of. But if you were to just look at our local headlines, you don't see a lot of peace stuff in there, do you? I mean, you got the Ferguson trial that's going on right now, and that's not peaceful. You have the ISIS situation and the Middle East crisis. That hasn't been peaceful for a very long time. There's our country. Republicans, Democrats, need I say more? There's no peace. And we've been in an economic recession for quite some time. And anytime that anybody feels financial stress, peace is it's elusive. But it's not just over the last 10 years, guys. Did you know that since 3600 BC, 3,600 years before Christ, since then to now, 2014, 2014 years later after that, there's only been 300 years approximately of peace worldwide. That's it. Did you know that there's been over 14,000 wars and over 4 billion people have been butchered, killed in the process of it? Not to mention the fact that there have been over 8,000 peace treaties signed and broken. I mean, where's the peace? Where's the peace? And if you've read the Gospels, you know that when Jesus entered into the ministry at around age 30 and started collecting all these dudes around him to start doing life with so he could teach them and train them and impart to them some things that he needed them to understand, they all expected him to bring peace too. Every one of his disciples believed that what Jesus was going to do was to come into Jerusalem, kick some Roman booty, and establish peace for the Israelites by force. That's what they believed he would do. They were waiting for him to do that, egging him on to do it. But Jesus was the one who was saying to them the whole time, whoa, time out, time out. That's not the plan. The plan is not for me to come in and lower the boom just so you could have peace. You want me to destroy the world, but I'm gonna die for it. And I want you guys to do the same. See, Jesus wants us, disciples, to help him when it comes to the bringing of peace, the making of peace. He wants us to be the kind of people who actually can show other people a path to peace. He wants us to do that. Let me prove that to you. When Jesus was hanging out with his disciples shortly before he was going to be arrested, shortly before he was going to be taken and put up onto a cross, butchered and killed, imagine the chaos of all of that. Imagine all the stuff that was about ready to happen inside of these guys' lives. Just before that, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says this to them. It's found in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 29. Let me read this to you. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. 
And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. Hopefully you see this, what's going on. Time is running out, and Jesus is giving these guys one of the last pep talks that they're going to have. And what he's trying to say to them is, guys, 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 chaos is about to come. Your experiences are going to be filled with chaos. Do not look to your experiences to be the things that bring you peace. The thing that brings you peace is me and my spirit living within you so that when you experience things that cause everybody else to lose their peace, you still have it. And you, you can go in and make it. And you can show them how to find the path to it. That's what I'm wanting to do with you. Things are about to get crazy in here. Things are about to get chaotic. You're going to witness everything that I told you that's going to happen, including me getting killed. But don't lose your way. The Holy Spirit's coming, and you're going to have peace of mind and heart. Trust me. It's going to work. And just like those disciples, we find ourselves in the same kind of situation this day and age. We look to our experiences to bring us peace. We look to it in the holidays. We look to it throughout the course of the year. We have all kinds of things that we want to experience that we believe will bring us peace, but God is saying, oh, wait, you don't find peace in your experiences. You find peace in me. The peace that the world gives is the kind of peace that comes in experiences. My peace, it's not like that. My peace is of mind and heart that comes from the Holy Spirit doing something inside of you that changes your perspective of things. So if you want peace and you want to find peace despite the chaos, well, then there's something that you and I need to do. Now, like those disciples back then with Jesus wanting him to lower the boom on the world, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in this day and age who say something very similar in that, I just wish that Jesus would come back. I just wish that he would reveal himself and kick some fanny and just blow people up and establish peace and everything's going to be awesome. Same kind of issue that the disciples were dealing with. And Jesus is still saying, oh, wait a second here, I love this world. When are you going to help me in reaching it? Let's bring some peace into it. But how do we do that? How do we find that peace? How do we do that? Well, it's a good thing you asked. I'm going to help you with that. At least I'm going to help you with something that I believe that we've been told by God to do. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. There are times where I don't necessarily tell you all the little nitty-gritty details that are going on inside of my life. But here's the truth, a true truth. Every time I put this into practice, every time, every time, I find peace. Other times when I don't put this into practice, yes. Do I find peace in those situations? No. When I put this into practice, I find peace. Here's what we need to do. Paul wrote this to one of the churches in Philippi. If you're not familiar with Paul, real quick, let me explain who he is. He was a guy who spent a tremendous amount of time with Jesus. We're not really quite sure how much time he spent with him. But he ended up taking all of these things that he learned from Jesus, and he started planting churches and, and reaching people for Christ really early on. Some of the very first churches that were ever planted were planted by Paul. And as he was writing letters to these churches, they got saved by these churches, and that's what ended up becoming part of the Bible. Well, one of those letters that he was writing to a church in Philippi has this message in it. It's found in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Let me read this to you. That's what he says. Don't worry about anything. 
Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, if you're counting like what I do, there are three do's and one don't. Three do's in here, one don't. Let's go through the do's real quick. Here's the first thing that you need to do. The first thing we are supposed to do to experience peace is pray about everything. Now, how many of us actually pray about anything, let alone pray about everything? I mean, if you were to just to make a mental list of all the things that you pray for in the course of the day, how long would that list be? I mean, if you think about the time that you dedicate for prayer, let alone the list that you're praying about, can you fit everything into five to 10 minutes? Because the average person prays somewhere around five to 10 minutes and specifically around meals or going to bed. Paul says, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Here's why that's so important. Here's why. Prayer aligns us with God. A lot of people go into prayer as an attempt to try to align God with their will. Have you ever noticed that? I do that. Come on, God, we shake our fists at him. Come on, you're supposed to fix my stuff, fix my world, fix my experiences so I can have some peace. We shake our fists at him and he's like, whoa, you got this all wrong. You got this all wrong. We do that, don't we? Prayer is supposed to align us with God. Here's what it does for me. Every time I do this, it changes me. I look at my problem and if I stir up my problem, if I am a person who stares at winds and waves, I am no different than Peter. I will sink. Does that make sense? If I am out there trying to do something in faith for God and the storms start to roll in and I take my focus on him and I place it on the wind and the waves, I sink. And I don't know anybody else who does it. We all do. But when I pray, I suddenly see God in spite of everything and that's what ends up happening. I take my focus off him, I sink. I put my focus on him, I can walk on anything, whether it's water or ice or fire, it doesn't matter. If I am in pure, perfect view of God in the midst of my situation, then here's what I learned about my situation. Not only is this a situation that I'm gonna survive it, but I actually might have fun in the midst of a problem and in a crisis if God's in the middle of it with me. Because when God gets in the middle of something, he always does something amazing. I want you to know that if you are not praying, you are never gonna have peace. Plain and simple, more prayer, more peace. That is why it is the first do. That is why he said, don't worry about anything. And do you know what that word anything means? Anything. And when he said pray about everything, you know what everything means. It means everything. When we do that, we become addicted to God. We become needy of him. And all of a sudden, life experiences become a place to be able to go into, not worrying about whether or not they bring us peace. We're more concerned about how we're going to make it in the midst of it. That's the first do. There's another do in there. That second do is this, is to tell God what you need. The second thing we are supposed to do is to tell God what we need. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between wants and needs, right? More maturity, we start to figure that out. But let's talk about that for a second. Anybody who's been in high school or college level psychology has probably heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you remember some of that, great. And if not, then then it's okay. Bottom line is this, is that instinctually, every single one of us knows that when we come into the world, we're not capable of meeting our own needs, period. 
Regardless of what the hierarchy is, when we come into the world, we need other people in order for us to live. Not just to feed us and clothe us and bait us, but to love us and care for us. We need that. And no matter how old you get, you're never, ever, ever going to be able to satisfy all of your own needs. You've never been designed that way. It's not the way that we've been designed. We're always going to need something outside of ourselves to complete ourselves. And so when we go to God and we tell him what it is that we need, the fact of the matter is, is that God never wanted us to be preoccupied or to place our needs at the top of our priority list. And if you stop and think about it, if you and I are genuinely believers, if we are the individuals who have come to him and said, this is my life, you're the one who gave it to me, you blessed me with it, but I've been destroying it because of stupidity, I surrender it now to you, you take over, you take the wheel, I'm going to follow you, you're going to do with me what it is that you've designed me to do, you have a plan for my life, and now I'm going to entrust you with it. My top priority is no longer my needs. My top priority is your kingdom. And that's exactly what Jesus wants from every single one of us. Let me explain it to you in his own words. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. This is what Jesus said. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will I eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Now, what Jesus is saying is not this. You become a Christian, and Jesus is going to pay all your bills. And, and he's going to make sure that all your relationships are good and that you're going to have a white Christmas. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is God knows what you need in order to get done the plan that he has for you to fulfill. And that God, when he calls you to do something, he knows that you're ill-equipped to do it. God will never call you and I into something that he thinks that you and I can do on our own strength, will he? In fact, anybody who has ever said, God will never ask you to do anything more than you can handle, is it? Is wrong. <laughs> we just put it that way. They're wrong. They're not necessarily an idiot. They've just been taught wrong. God will always, always capital A L. W-A-Y-S, underline, always give you more than what you can handle. And why? Because why would he ever give you anything that you wouldn't need him to help? So God knows what you need. You need him. We need him. We need his kingdom and we need his focus and we need his priorities. He knows what we need. Why? Because he made us. He designed us. He gets everything there is to know about us. Every breath, every step, every failure, every success. And if we would stop believing that God's plan is so fragile for our lives that we could mess it up, imagine the freedom that you and I could have to just try to live for God in every circumstance. Might be fun. Here's the last thing here. The last thing we are to do is to thank God for all he has done. <laughs> that might take a while. If you stop and think about all the things that God has really done, it might take a while to thank him for all of that. If you were here last week, Seth Batista, our youth pastor, did a fantastic job of listing just two things. Just two things to be thankful for. You know, the truth of it is, guys, if you are a child of God, this is what you've been told that there is a priceless, meaning it's hard to even put a number on the value of the inheritance that have been reserved for you. You, individually, as a child of God. Your father owns so much stuff that he has decided that as soon as you enter into eternity and into his kingdom, he is going to bless you with the inheritance that he has reserved for you and nothing, absolutely nothing, will ever change that. 
And he has said that not only is he going to give that to you for you to be able to use in eternity, but he's also going to create eternity in such a way that you get to have a home there and experience living out what your identity in him is actually supposed to be. That's awesome. And I thank him for that because there are so many times where in the course of my life, I get focused in on this tiny little slice of life right here prior to eternity. The thing that God said is a vapor. The kind of thing that he said is like a wisp of wind. The kind of thing is this tiny little thing in front of all eternity that I get so wound up about. God says, dude, would you please just chill? I have provided to you peace of mind and heart and the circumstances that are going on all around you. Dude, I got this. Stop worrying. Go into this. Here's what you need to do, Matt. Instead of worrying about anything, pray about everything. Be praying all the time, dude. Pray. Look for me in the situations that you are in, and I assure you, if you do that, you are going to find that not only am I there, but I'm busy working, and I got something for you to do in the midst of it too. Tell me what you need, Matt. I I, I need you, God. I, I, you know all the other things that I need, but I need you. I need more of you. I need help. I need help to be able to represent you well in this situation. And thank him. And guys, every single time I have done that, every single time I have done that, every single time I have done that, I have found peace. I have found myself in a situation where not only am I able to experience it, but now I'm finding that God is actually using me to make it, to bring peace into other people's lives, to help them calm down and relax and to look at things from maybe from a new perspective and to see God in the midst of it. Are you doing that? That's what we're called to do. Every single one of us are called to be a peacemaker. In fact, Jesus, when he was standing up one day giving what we have referred to as the Sermon on the Mount and all the Beatitudes that came out of it, he's going through this list of all these things that this is a blessed person. This is what it looks like to be blessed. And this is a blessed person. This is what it looks like to be blessed. And one of the things he said is this, is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. True children of God are peacemakers. So, if you're one of those people who works in a, a business, you spend a lot of time in a business where Merry Christmas is prohibited, and you've got this weird, chaotic tension that's going on in your workplace... This sermon series is for you, all of it. Not just this sermon, but the whole sermon series is for you. If you're one of those people who you've been thinking about the whole holiday season and going, I just want to survive it. No, this sermon series is for you. You don't want to just survive it. You want to thrive in it. If you're like me, yes, there's some things that you could do to practice some limits and there's some things that we do have some control over. We, we don't have to book every single thing and go to every single thing. There's some stuff that we can do. But if you're like me, then maybe you need to spend some more time focusing on what's this process of praying. and What's this process of really giving to God those needs and thanking him for what he's done. Maybe that's why you're here today. Or maybe you're like my brother. Or you know somebody like my brother. And you've been thinking... I don't believe this. It's a fairy tale. There's no peace. It didn't add up. Yes, it did. You were just looking at the wrong definition of peace. You thought that what the disciples thought, you thought that what all those prophets thought, you thought that Jesus was going to come and put down the hammer and that his job and responsibility was just to go around cleaning up all your experiences so that you could 
have peace? No. He wants to change you. He wants to change you from the inside with your heart and with your mind. And if you would give him the chance and the opportunity to be the prince of peace in your life, he'll show you a path. I promise. I promise. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you, first of all, for being so patient with me, with us, because we, we really haven't, many of us really haven't been peacemakers. We've been peace demanders. We've been crying out for it. But you've given it to us. You've given us the ability with just a good, clear mind to be able to think about what it is that brings peace. And you are, your spirit does. And Lord, that's what we want to be. We want to be the kind of people that are peacemakers for you. We want to be representatives of you. And we want to go into this world, particularly at this time of year when there is so much chaos. And we want to be examples of what it looks like to be people of peace. So I pray that you would do that in us. If there are some who are here today and you're listening to me either online or you're in this room today and you are thinking, I'm one of those people who uh, I'm far from God. I, I, I don't think it's a joke anymore, though. And I just don't know what to do. If that's you, I'm going to make a simple prayer as an example for you. And you can either mouth the words quietly to you, yourself, to God, or you could just wait until I'm done and then say, yeah, God, that's... That's me. And here it is. I give up. I give in. I surrender. I'm sorry. But I, I want different. I want peace. I want change. And so I, I give you my, my life. Whatever you think it's worth, it's yours. Will you take my sin, take my desires, take my will, and replace them. Do whatever it is that you do. Fill me with your spirit and help me to have that kind of peace. Help me to live for you. And if that's your prayer, right now, right now, you're probably already experiencing a, a feeling or a sensation of what it's like when the Holy Spirit decides to invade your soul. I hope you are. Father, I pray that we would all be peacemakers, that you would help us to understand what that means. In every experience, may we bring it, may we make it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me? We're gonna sing through this last song and we're gonna take an offering. I want you to pay particularly close attention to the words of this song. I would love for everybody to pay attention to the words of every song, but particularly on this one, think about what it is that you're saying. Or singing. And if you don't want to sing, just sit back and listen to it, that's fine. We are going to take an offering. And why we do that is this, is this church only exists because there are those who believe that it's worthwhile to have it exist. In other words, those who benefit from it are the ones who support it. And if you've been blessed by it, we'd love for you to support it. If you're new with us today, what we really want from you is the chance to be able to connect and help you find a place where that you can begin to grow in your faith. And so give us that communication card, fold that in half, stuff it down in the bucket, and we'll get that from you. After we sing the song, I'm going to come back up, say a few more things, and dismiss us. But for right now, let's pray or sing and give. Today, if you made that decision for the very first time to become a part of the family of God or to say, I give my life over to you, I'm going to ask you to grab one of these. It's for you. 
on each of the tables by any of these doors as you walk out, grab a packet that looks just like this for new believers, open it up. We've got some stuff in there for you. And then come and talk to one of the pastors. Talk to somebody. We'd love to be able to get you started. Today, if you've made a new decision for Christ, we'd love to be able to hear about that as well. So come and talk to one of the pastors. Maybe it's a recommitment that you've made as far as a new decision or a new decision to trust them with more of your life. We'd love to also hear about that. If you need prayer, come forward. We'll have a prayer team up here. We'd love to be able to pray for you. And also, if you'd like communion today, we've got it available on both sides of the room. Just feel free to take that as an individual or with your family. And come back next week. Invite somebody to come with you. Next week, Pastor Kurt's going to be talking about family. So bring some family with you or people that you'd like to be family. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Hope to see you next week.